First encounter report. Captain Rage Reynolds. Our first encounter came on October 1st, 2090. We were heading to our first rescue operation on Phobos, near Mars. Reports of a crashed ship and some alien life form related to it led us to dispatch Corporal Thomas and Ensign Kennison to the surface. To our surprise, Ensign Kennison didn't die. Upon finding the crew of the cold case vessel dead, we also found a strange alien life form in the form of a green-skinned woman. Ensign Kennison began looking for the captain of the ship, one James T. Kirk. However, no records of such a captain exist. Note, suggested psyche valve for Ensign Kennison upon return. We then received orders from Admiral Ripley to bring back the alien specimen. So, Corporal Thomas left Lieutenant Grade Ruck behind and pick for pickup at a later date. Shortly thereafter, the alien began draining the blood of the remaining crew. The apparent space vampire, for lack of a better word, has uh, ravaged- Captain, Captain, uh, the threat's been neutralized. It has? How? Uh, to be honest, I'm not quite sure. She scraped herself and just that bled to death? That's it? Yep. Uh, we just kind of have to decide what to do with all the tomatoes she left, though. Tomatoes? Yeah, she stashed them all over the ship. The crew's been collecting them, though. I'm uh, not sure what to do with them. Well, that's easy. Make pasta sauce. Welcome to Sci-Fi Malady. Sci-Fi Malady, Symptom 213. Queen of the Xenomorphs. I, I mean, blood. Queen of blood. Welcome back, sickies, to the first episode of, uh... Enunciate hor- Month. Yes, Horror Month. Is that right, Scott? Did I say it okay? Horror Month. Yes. You said it worse. <laughs> you said it worse. Did I? Yes. Did I? Did I? Maybe I did that on purpose. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think the gutter humor of you just took over. But anyway. Scary Movie Month, Scary not movie Streetwalker Month. month. <laughs> Streetwalker Month. Thank you for that, Ethan. Gotta have him on one day. Anyway, welcome to our first episode of Horror Month, my favorite month of the year. Uh, Moving on, before Scott gets a chance, uh, we are starting off this episode, or this month, with the 1966 Roger Corman film, Queen of Blood, which, uh, the movie poster and the name is amazing. The film is a colossal letdown. Uh, Especially when you f- find out that this is where, like, aliens came from. Uh, yeah, maybe. In ways. It's, in, in parts of it. Yeah, it's possible. It certainly is. Uh, in fact, you know, normally I give a, a plot synopsis, but I kind of already did with the intro there, but I'll go ahead and do it real quick. This, I think, will take a minute. I really do. It's a short plot. Yeah, in the future, t- 1990. <laughs> future. <laughs> the uh, future. Countries came together to make a space agency because colonizing the moon was boring, so they all did that. Then they come to find out that a ship crashed on Mars, so they decided to send a rescue team, which also crashed on Mars due to a solar flare, so they send yet another team to go save that team, and they pick up an alien life form in the form of a question mark, because that's how the credits put it. And on the way back, she begins feasting on their blood, and in the end, instead of, like, stopping her, they just, they tie her up, she laser beams, eye lasers her way out, they don't lock her up, she feeds some more people, kills Dennis Hopper, and then eventually the female member of the crew of the Oceana, which is dispatched to rescue them, accidentally cuts the vampire, and she bleeds to death. The end. 
And then there's a bunch of eggs. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of eggs which look like pulsating tomatoes. Uh, I, 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 you know, it looks like they took a hard-boiled egg and put it inside of green jello. And they, yeah, yeah. Probably they, what they did. Put a little red food coloring on exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it looked like. Pulsating egg tomatoes inside red jello. That's it. Yeah. But, and there's your plot. So let's jump into fun facts. That's another one-minute plot summary. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay, now, finally. Well, we finally got some movies that the yeah. plots aren't too dense from. What's right. a plot? <laughs> so Something this, that doesn't exist too much? So this film is by Roger Corman, so that should tell you everything. Uh, the If you notice, the first half and the second half look really different, and there's a reason for that. The first half was essentially a clip-for-clip ripoff of two Russian films. I should say Soviet productions would be more accurate. Makes sense when you see it. Yes. Mechte Strechu, Strechu, I don't know how to speak that, and <laughs> Battle Beyond the Sun. I'm guessing those are in Cyrillic that I have no idea how to pronounce any of it. Uh, yeah. So, and these films, if you look at, and we'll talk about the effects later, but... If you look at the effects and say, wow, for 1966 that, and the Soviets, that wasn't half bad. Why didn't they do the rest of that in the rest of the film? Oh, because they stopped ripping off the movie after that. But it's, as Thomas pointed out, when they show you scenes, for example, the space agency, and you see these really Soviet-looking statues, that's why. Yeah, it, it had some very uh, Soviet-style statues, Soviet-style architecture. Very at that point, I mean, watching this, I'm going, ah, the future where the space agencies in Soviet Union. Which is funny because Thomas brought that up, and when I told him it was Russian movies, he just went, ah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it made sense because I'd seen that first and went. Okay, I just ran with it and thought maybe this was the director's choice going, ah. It also makes sense why it was a screen-for-screen ripoff of another film. You don't make as many movies as Roger Corman did without ripping off. Oh, absolutely. And ripping off your own sets like we saw, uh, what was that movie? Forbidden World ripped off Galaxy of Terror the year after. I can't believe they kept the set up for that long. You know, every single time we say Roger Corman... I flash back to what are little girls made of in the original Star Trek because um, Nurse Chapel's ex-husband is Roger Corby, and there's a scene uh, I specifically hear him uh, screaming, I am Roger Corby! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just inside the brain of Scott. Yes, dangerous it's always place. all about Star Trek. It's a very dangerous <laughs> place up there. So, about some of the cast, this had actually a very interesting cast. Some star-studded, some star-studded to be. Uh, We'll start with the star-studded cast member, Basil Rathbone, who was a big... He was actually... The first film I ever saw him in was... He was in Son of Frankenstein, as the son of Dr. Frankenstein. He's started a number of big films, so much so that the guy was paid $1,500 to act for a day and a half. And then $1,500 for half a day on another film like it. But, uh, which by the way, that other film he acted on also ripped off a Soviet film. I don't know what Roger Corman was getting at, but he did it. And so Basil Rathbone had to do extra time because he didn't properly learn his lines. 
and you can kind of tell there's a few moments in the movie where he pauses and he has to go back and look at a paper because they have his lines written on it when he's making ah, a speech. That's why some of that didn't seem... Yeah, you got to wonder how seriously he was taking this. But uh, they had to delay footage and skip lunch. And then the Screen Actors Guild got involved because he didn't get lunch. And they had to pay him back for that. And So it explains why if you're looking at it saying that's kind of a flat performance. Yeah. It was on purpose. I I kind of thought that, but it 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 was about the guy saying, "Um, uh, it it's a sun flare." And yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, there was no emotion in there, and yes, it did look like he paused to read his line. Yeah, and that's exactly what was going on. Yeah, that delivery was uh extra dry. Yeah. The other members of the cast, we have a young Dennis Hopper who really should be scary enough when you think about it. Uh, but he's in it, and you see it. You also have John Saxon, who, if you're not sure who that is, he's most famous from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. He makes an appearance here. Uh, Czech actress Florence Marley, who played the space plant vampire, I guess. Space blood queen? Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Queen of blood. She uh, was hired because she was personal friends of the director. Uh, the director would later go on to say that he knew Corman wanted to hire some blonde bimbo, but... Um, of course he did. <laughs> Shocker. But, but somehow that Harrington managed to fight to get her on the set, so that was interesting. Uh, Why am I not surprised with Corman? Oh, of course. So, the 90% uh, uh so a lot of the, all the special effects at the beginning half, if you look at the first half, it's pretty much the ripoff of the movies, those Soviet movies, and the latter half is not. It's all on set. And you can tell the tone of the film, not only the tone, but the look changes because of that ripoff. A uh, few other things. According to John Saxon... Basil Rathbone was a very, very, very distinguished gentleman. But when he did a scene, he got annoyed because they didn't get the sound right on his first take. So they asked him to come back. He got upset at the director, which is partially why he didn't do his lines, probably. Um, you know, I think that's about it. There's not a lot more than that we need to go into, other than it ripped, ripped off the Soviet film. That explains a lot of it. And I guess the best way to... De- you know, as we get into rips and picks, rips and picks, I would say this film is, I mean, it's, I'm not going to rate it high because it's a letdown. That's the best way to put this film. It is a letdown. Whatever goodness it could have had is at the end because boy, my, way to give away your score ahead of I time. I know because the, the ultimate failure here. Uh, the ultimate rip I'm going to have is the way they take care of the threat. Oh my God. She is accidentally cut open. She gets a fingernail scratch and bleeds out. And the explanation is because she was a queen, because she was laying eggs, so she must have been a queen. uh, She must have hemophilia. That's right. A genetic disease from inbred European royalty 
is afflicting an alien from another right, galaxy. Right. Because, because the Habsburgs in our royalty, it was the Habsburgs, had, right? Had all of them. Yeah. yeah. Because they, they were inflicted by inbreeding and hemophilia, every other royalty on every other planet in the universe. Yeah, the also, same thing. Also, by the way, these other royalty from another planet that traveled gala- you know, galaxies here, you know, it's like, oh, by the way, they don't have a treatment for hemophilia. Yeah. Or even protective gear. Though, I mean, these do seem like halfway incompetent flight paths because they managed to hit an entire planet, but still. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my rip. This is the worst boss bad guy, bad girl, uh, you know, whatever. Bad, bad boss, big boss fight ever. There was no fight! No, like, like, at least in the first Friday the 13th, you had to hit Jason Voorhees in the head with a, or, you know, you cut off Mrs. Voorhees' head. Yeah, there was a fight. Right, there's, I mean, this is, like, you know, this is, this is terrible. It's like, she's the Captain Planet of villains. Captain Planet, what do you do? I fight pollution, what's your weakness? Well, if I get hit with a garbage bag, I'm done. (laughs) So how exactly do you pick up mm, the pollution? Uh, you... Queen of blood, what do you do? Well, I suck people's blood and I'm a vampire. What's your weakness? If I get cut or scratched, not even cut. If I get scratched, I die. If I get a bad bruise, yeah, I die internally. This would be the most amazing battle ever. Like, she would just be throwing trash at Captain Planet and him trying to dodge it. And he would just be trying to give her a paper cut. <laughs> but she also has laser beam eyes. So it's like, wait a minute. They were also luckily laser beam slash seductive eyes. That was really, really lucky for her that when she was laser beaming the uh, ropes. She didn't singe herself. Oh, but she would cauterize herself. It's a good thing she didn't get a scratch when they tied her up with the ropes either. I know. But that's another thing. It's like, it's lucky they cut her on the back shoulder so she couldn't cauterize her wounds, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Maybe that's how they did it. You know, no, no, no. Don't give him credit. Way too much credit. Don't give him credit. But no, a, these are one of the worst alien bad guys out there. It's like, oh, they're coming and they're giving us a message they're coming. Okay, great, great, fantastic. What do they do? Manage to hit a whole planet on the way to Earth. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were they were sending, I messed that up in the plot. They said yeah. they were coming to say hi and they were sent a ship out to meet them and then the yeah. ship crashed because of a solar flare. That's Right, okay. so they, it's like, ah, yes. Super advanced space aliens crash into an entire planet. Why? Because. Because. There's no had- description. There's no talking. There's nothing. The planet, they just hit, apparently, you know, and sent an SOS out. If you out. were that hemophiliac, though, wouldn't you just, and you were, you know, I don't know, conquerors, don't you think you would constantly be in armor? Like, these, yes. guys, yeah. these yes. guys could be defeated by arming the whole world with pellet guns. Yes. You know, Thomas and I were just saying the same thing. It's like, wrap yourself in bubble wrap for crying out loud. Do something. You wouldn't, and that's the thing. You don't have treatments for this. You don't have anything because if if your species or your royalty, especially, which again, we're told this is royalty, but also this was supposed to be their negotiator, so I don't think it would be their royalty, but right. Whatever. If that means your whole species. Is hemophiliacs. I think that would be on top priority of a treatment, and also, did you not have any natural predators on your planet? Because exactly. anything could apparently kill you. Well, or just it should for be that matter, yeah, it should be impossible for them to have reached a stable breeding population. 
for that matter, yeah. let's just say for the sake of argument that only that might the, be why they have hemophilia. <laughs> the the queens have hemophilia. Let's just say for the sake of argument, fine. Sure. Uh, wouldn't you go out of your way as a species to treat it? To treat it. I mean, if if somehow in some warped method, God decided that only certain individuals can replicate humanity the hum- the population and one of them or all of them for that matter was afflicted with some debilitating condition i would like to think that we would put all hands on deck to solve that or at the very least mitigate it you wouldn't send her as an ambassador to a yeah, potentially hostile she world would be living yeah. in a world of cushions and luxury and everything else keep them safe well, she also she's also the worst bad guy because after she feeds, she goes. She basically sleep. gets a comatose. Takes a nap. Right. This would be like if every oh. time Jason Voorhees killed someone, he just laid down with his head in a guillotine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because all you have to do is, well, she's asleep. Uh, here, give me that pen. Scrape. That'll take care of it. A guy, uh, um, a science fiction well, commentator, I really like. SF Debris, Chuck Sonnenberg. Um, he constantly says, and this is an example, he goes, when you create a villain or you create an alien species, you need to think a little bit further ahead as to, okay, it does this and this is its weakness, but why? Does this make evolutionary sense? Does this, does this create problems that would break this as a species? And he, he will say this, and you know, he, he'll say it constantly, this would be one where he would say, in designing this villain, you should have thought ahead further. You clearly put no thought into this species, no thought into this alien, and no thought into how this could be a threat. Because the, she, the Queen of Blood is not a threat. She should no. accidentally no. kill herself during her sleep when she has an itch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well, this is the other thing, and I just thought of this. And there's no way there is, and as we said, there's no way that if this entire planet has this type of hemophilia, this severe, or even if it's only the egg-laying queens, that they could have sustained a stable breeding population. Correct. Mm-hmm. But you saying this made me think of something. At the end, though, when they're landing the shuttle and finding about the eight eggs, the two surviving characters, obviously, of course, boyfriend girlfriend. Of course. Yeah. All going, we must not let the governments get this because these will destroy Earth. Really? Really? Because apparently these are the most fragile aliens in the universe. Uh, we could very easily study them and control them because yeah. as soon as they get out of the control. Just flick them in the ear. You don't have to shoot them. You can punch one of them and you would kill them. Yeah, even the most... Give them a bloody nose. Even the weakest scientist, all right, if they get a little ornery and try to bite you, just slap them. Grow your nails long, guys, yeah. and fire yeah. them to a point. Just poke them with your pen, they'll die. Yeah, so it's like, they are not... I mean, the biggest, scariest part of them is their hypnotic... Which hypnotic, a bit, their charm gaze, we'll yeah. call it. Sure, so just have two people. Yeah. And only charge, charm one at a time. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Oh, they're charming him. Poke, poke her with a pen. Okay. Yeah. That's that good. leads me to one of my only picks for this film. They do create a great moral dilemma at the end. You have the two survivors and the one, the, the Alan says, we need to kill these things. We need to kill her. We need to kill the eggs. They're, they're going to turn us into cattle. We're going to become a food, a food source for these people. And, and then his girlfriend says... No, that's beyond our decision. Let's let, let's let the men and women of science 
decide what to do with this and we trust that we can control them. So now you, as an individual actor in this point, have your own moral dilemma. Do you follow the constraints of society and the chain of command, so to speak, knowing that it's very possible that you will be letting something dangerous out that could end the entire um, existence of humankind and reduce us nothing more than, than to a food source? Or do you act what Immanuel Kant would probably say unethically because it, yeah, well, I don't know if Kant would say that, he'd follow your duty. But do you, do you go against the, what is expected of you in society, which is to bring the scientific discovery back to your superiors and let them make the determination of what to do with it, knowing that you're probably saving human lives by doing so? And then third, the other ethical drama, ethical question is, do we have a right to kill another sentient life or sapient life to protect ourselves? And are we, in that point then, we're saying that human life is more valuable than this species. How do we know this isn't the last member of this species and we're killing off their entire, we're committing a genocide by killing these eggs. But if it's us or them, humanity or the queen of blood species, what do you do? What is the ethical decision there? It's interesting But then you, you, you neuter it all. By making them a weak enemy. Right. You neuter it all by making them no more threatening than lemmings. Yeah. Well, actually... Yep. Maybe less let, threatening. Lemmings, lemmings might, be, might survive. They right. don't die. If you, had, if you had a sapient lemming, uh, one sapient lemming, it could probably get them all to follow him into an attack. This lady, I mean, again, as I said, you could defeat this army with BB guns. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they weren't wearing armor. But then if they were wearing armor, and let's say you can't get through the armor, surrender. And then, you know, you put out, uh, before you surrender, we surrender. As soon as they take off their armor, scratch them. Yeah. Oh, I have... Or just push them down a hill and let them well, get banged it would up be the e Yeah, it would be the so easiest guerrilla war resistance ever. Yeah, I mean, armor, even armor has a problem. It, even the best current body armor has this really nasty problem. If, if I get shot with a gun right now and I'm in my armor... You'll get bruised. Depending. Exactly, and that's I'm still blood going pulling up. Right, I will still you'll get die a bruise. Internal bleeding because it won't clot. Yep. So yeah, you're still this alien species is dead no matter what. You're I mean, right. They, you're right. I don't need pellet guns. I I need potato guns. Yeah, yeah. fired at <laughs> yeah. a really fast speed, and I can take them out with a potato gun. I'm telling you, <laughs> you would just need stairs basically almost yeah, because push if they them trip, down the stairs, if they trip down a stair, they're done. Or just throw a rock at them. Beam them with a rock. They twist their ankle. They could die. I mean, yeah. like, these species... Make them chase you on unlevel oh, ground. Yeah. This release release a really hive of angry bees. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah. yeah it, it, I can, hey, oh, no. Go touch that plant. We call it a cactus. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice and soft. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, I mean, I don't even think human... Sandpaper? No. Are this bad. I mean, because this queen of blood managed to a bleed to death in incredibly fast speed for the minorest and there's cuts. no there's very little blood that was too. the next thing she <laughs> yeah. managed it i mean she's about human size so we're going to go and humanist so we're going to go roughly the same amount of blood just assuming here that is surprisingly a that she died that quickly with that little amount of blood loss and very surprising that she bled out that quickly and also that's surprisingly a little amount of blood so that means her blood system has nothing flowing through it yeah and yeah. she's got she's got a scratch on her left shoulder 
Why is the blood pulled up on the floor For, to on the right, right front? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because we needed to. That goes, you know, that should goes, be on the bed. If goes, I was a forensic investigator, I'd be like, this blood was planted. <laughs> that goes back to another rip. Idiocy. It literally is. This plot only works because, A, not only have you horrendously nerfed your threat for no reason, like Scott pointed out, there was no explanation, but, B, it requires this crew to be stupid. They don't tie her up. They don't tie her up at first. She gets caught killing Dennis Hopper. And then then they tie her up. She gets out with her laser eyes. They catch her killing someone else, and what do they do? Do they lock her up? Nah, they just give her the run of the place. It's not until it's down to two people, and they act, and they, it's almost like the director or the writer realizes, oh shoot, these stupid people aren't gonna, they're gonna die just because they're too stupid. Uh, we have to come up with an equally stupid way to get rid of her. Well, this also brings up the point that she doesn't speak. Yes! So, we're right now trying to communicate with another species. Say, say, an alien landed. And say they gave us advanced warning. But they land and don't say a word. Yeah, they know how to communicate with us, clearly. And we're now in this thing and neither side is... We're trying to say hi and they're just looking and staring at us. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit there going, ah, yes, you have free reign and go over here and whatever. No, I'm going to now take you and put you and watch you very closely and secure. Yes. And somehow, instead of being secure, they're just like, oh, you're not speaking to us. Here's the run of the ship. Yeah. What? what, What I don't get, too, I get that they want to bring the queen to make eggs to overrun the planet, which also is dumb because at some point, unless you plan on hurting us like cattle you're gonna kill all the humans and then what move on to the next planet whatever but if you only had the queen left who is that weak because remember they want to take a blood sample they pull out the syringe and she freaks out for obvious reasons so why would as a queen why would you run the risk well, I mean, maybe, again, going maybe, back... Maybe the species is kind of like ants. I was just about to say, maybe the soldiers are tougher, but you don't have soldiers, also, so why you have, are you... It's not one queen, it's multiple queens, and this might be a new queen. Sure, but That's you're the, the only, way. only, I'm only way. Again, asking questions that are not meant to be answered because no, the story and the characters just work because stupid pills. The story, and the story isn't written. that smart. Yeah. And, uh, it's badly uh, written. And really, I mean, when half of the movie's ripped off, they, you're already starting with yeah. a bad... It's like, okay, I need to fit I, this with this. Uh, screw it, it. But it's funny that, like, that Eight-Legged Freaks has a better storyline than this. And, and that's also another Roger Corman movie, I believe. But what's... Although I could argue that, to some degree, it's the same level of writing as modern, big-time Robert Kurtzman-style writers, only it's less complex, so... All writing has this problem. Look, I'm not a writer, but as a a purveyor of entertainment, Mm -hmm. as as a consumer of entertainment, let me say... Especially if it's Star Trek. (laughs) Let me say that any time I am watching a TV show or a movie or reading a book... That requires a smart character to act stupid to advance the plot or for something to be dangerous or for it to work. 
I am watching something that is not that good. I, I completely agree. And or this is- even if it manages to be good, it has now become worse than it should be. So I would say that as a writer, if you um, are reaching a point where you need your character, a main character or anyone, to act inordinately stupid, stop, backtrack, rewrite. You've put yourself into a corner that while you can just magic your way out of it, you probably shouldn't just by making someone's IQ drop 40 points for five seconds. Yeah, well, and there's different explanations of it aside from just they got brained and someone beamed them in the head and they lost IQ. Uh, You could do different things like, well, they're arrogant and they've never encountered this person. They just presume they're better. But the problem is that only works on the first encounter. After that, you can't keep doing that. Right. So, and um, this this is a film that requires everyone to act incredible. Look, for everything to work, we're meant to believe that those eggs hatch on Earth, and they do turn us into cattle, and that requires the scientist, Doctor Faraday, to also be incredibly stupid and naive. Yeah. It requires every. It requires the military men who Doctor Faraday is certainly military men or women who Doctor Faraday is certainly reporting to. To yeah. be incredibly naive. Right. It requires everyone to just be stupid and arrogant and no one to be exercising common sense and pragmatism. And that's, that is bad. It is also, you lose your first ship, you send a rescue ship, you lose that ship, you're just going to send another one. Yeah. No one's thinking here. We're just going to funnel things in drip by drip. And it requires this type of stupidity by every major character and actor in this film for any of this to work for the for the villain to be a threat it requires stupidity and and naivete from everyone and that's a problem i you know i we're right now i'm writing uh i with ruck and shane are writing zodiac task force which by the way the new episode dropped so take a listen sickies it was good dropped today oh thank you we when we go over our stories we look at it and say we ask the questions we pretend to be sci-fi malady critics or anybody else any other critics and point out why wouldn't this work why wouldn't this work and you'll see i'm not gonna excuse me bury the lead yet but you'll see in the next episode something their characters are looking for the question arose wait 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 how come everybody else doesn't know about this thing they're looking for you mean a mcguffin yeah (laughs) MacGuffins aren't necessarily bad. Everyone just presumes that because Hitchcock made one critical comment. So therefore Hitchcock is God and therefore they're always bad. No, it's not true. But so um, we ask these questions. Why would someone act that way? Why would they suddenly do this? Why would they, why would everyone else not know that? And we have to say, okay, do we have to rewrite the scene or do we just add a line? Sometimes adding a line will take care of it. Other times not. This movie doesn't even attempt that. It's just keep feeding the meat grinder and be stupid. Well, I mean, the problem with that is you can't fix something adding a line and you can't just you rewrite can. a it scene. It just depends on the situation. It just depends on the situation. You can, uh, but that means you have to sit yep. back and think and say, does this make sense? I would say in this movie, though, no, you can't because... The the whole this movie, everything exists here to show you the Queen of Blood. Yeah, and, and everything exists to show you a a vampire that feeds on blood, but also will die if it gets scratched. Yeah, 
The problem with that is since everything is built around this villain and it's basically a, it's Chucky, Jason, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers. Slasher villain. Okay. If you can't make the villain work, then the whole movie's done. And no, this is absolutely. a this is a villain and an alien species that has no logical way of existing and no logical way of being a threat. So, once you've decided you're going to make this movie around this villain, then you just have to stupid write your way through it. I think yep. I just created a new term like idiot premise. Stupid. You just write your stupid way. write your way through your idiot premise. Hey, I combined them. Hey, there you go. Verb and, and just noun. barrel on to the finish. Well, and, and hopefully. There's enough people who just don't give a crap about how stupid and idiotic this movie is that it still makes money. Well, that's what you're And goal, that's Roger Corman's is. career. That's Roger Corman's career. Now, we've done a lot of bashing here, but I do have a couple uh, picks. One pick is that when the queen is doing her hypnotic gaze, it looks really creepy. The way her eyes light up and the way that is really creepy. That's that was well done. Her smile and even when she's feasting and there's blood, it looks good. Her acting, her acting was very well, especially considering she doesn't get to speak. Yeah, she has to emote and communicate wordlessly throughout the whole movie. She does a very good job of demanding presence and just through. I mean, let's be honest, this was only because. The director, you know, got her in, but still, good choice. Yeah, it worked. I liked it. Um, It was the only good thing about the villain, honestly. Uh, Speaking of acting, the actors, with the exception of Basil, did fairly well. Dennis Hopper, you could tell, tried, although fun fact about that, allegedly he was uh, trying not to laugh the whole time when he delivered his lines. I, I think I read somewhere that they had to do a few takes because he started, he burst out laughing in mid-take. So, uh, I can only imagine he must have done really well in the, in the uh, audition because if he kept laughing and they kept him, but at any rate, he does well. So, the main actors are, are competent. And another pick would be this the effects now hang on when i look at special effects and i I assume thomas and scott are of the same mind here or something similar you don't want to make a cinematic fallacy and what i mean by that is i'm comparing it to the historian's fallacy the historian's fallacy for those that don't know is the idea that we can use modern thinking to judge the people in the past and presume that they wouldn't do something because we wouldn't do it that way. This is the classic, well, of course the pyramids were built using uh, miter saws because that's how we would do it. So obviously that's what they would have done. Um, no, that wouldn't have happened. In fact, uh, just as a side note with the miter saw in ancient Egypt, it's gone because of an apocalypse, an apocalypse which left all the buildings and the other tools. It just took out the power tools interesting but at any rate it, or the more common one to say gee why didn't someone from the year 1900 not think uh, same about race as i do now well to quote thomas jefferson it would take a prodigy not to do so because if you're raised in that environment it would take a prodigy 
and courageous will to not do it. And I'm not going to excuse it, but I'm also not going to sit here and say that I'm better than them. And that's the historian fallacy. So how do we do that in cinematic terms? Cinematic terms, evaluating effects using our modern lens. Um, you do know they didn't have computer effects back then, right? And honestly, I still give, despite the fact they were cheapy Soviet effects, I still give that guy more credit than the computer animator, and I'll tell you why. They had to sit down and make the model. They had to sit down and say, how are we going to do this with what we have? They had to make some, they had to pick up an empty paper towel tube, which in the Soviet Union was probably rarer than you think. Uh, <laughs> thank you, five-year plan. But, uh, and other, whatever they had on hand, and they had to make it work. Whereas you guys sit down, they had to have a skill, they had to have a craft, they had to hone it, they had to get better at it. You sit at a computer and for three weeks clack out a rendered computer image for 30 seconds of video game footage. And by the way, yes, your stuff looks like video game footage. Ooh, well, ooh. I'm gonna... I'm, so without... uh, wait, 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 not done yet. I am... Uh, now, does that mean we shouldn't use CGI? No. But what I'm saying is I tend to look at the craftsmen who had to hone their skill and sit down and really rack their brain how to do this over someone that... Now, if you develop a new software that does something, all right, chops to you. But if you're just using someone else's software, um, nah, I don't give you as much chops. You're not a craftsman. You're a, you're a kid on a computer screen. Mark, Mark. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say this. I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. That you feel that having to use what was there and trying to use film mm -hmm. and the limitations there. Yeah. But I also think, and I'm going to say that, CGI is not a, oh, I just sat down on a computer and fixed it. It's a craft that must be honed. There's tons of work that's required in it. There's programs you have to learn. There's program chains you have to learn. There is tons of filters, well, editing. You can mm -hmm. make something look like crap You're without sure. problem it takes an expert time effort computing power now yes well, it's easier to work with play with oops it didn't work i can fix it but there are a lot of skill a lot of work required especially to do it well and if you look at cgi coming through the years you can definitely see improvement improvement changes which have taken time and people's work to improve, and for to those, learn, to work with, it's not. Yeah. And, and I for want those who develop the software, I give them no, credit. I, using the software requires a lot of work, using too. Using the software, yeah. Just because you can... Okay, look. Just because you can develop... Um, Let's just use something simple. Just because you can develop... Um, Let's just go with old Corel Draw. Just because you can develop Corel Draw doesn't mean that you can create good art using Corel Draw. Yeah, but in the movies, usually the person that's making the software is making it because they have to do the effect. No, I'm no, not sure. No, 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 I think you have you have a difference between users and effects artists and the people who design the software. But anyway, anyway, I think that the crux of the matter here is that Rage Master is stuck in the past. Has, no, no, look, look, look. <laughs> I'm, I'm no. kidding. I'm kidding. I I kind of agree with I. I, as a viewer of entertainment, have more respect for the person who created a practical effect mm -hmm. from the ground up than an awesome effect made out of CGI. That said, 
I won't go as far as to try to say that CGI animators aren't. aren't All right, well, you move, well, I'll say this then. You moved my needle, but what I will say is this: you're you're not allowed to sit down and say that the person who made that effect isn't as good as the CGI kid or whomever. Correct. Because yes. you have to look at the clay they worked with and it presents its own difficulties, which in some ways are harder than the CGI, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And also you have to remember, and this can even be said of CGI. Someone could look at CGI from, say, 2004 and say, that looks sucky. Did you know what they had to work with? Well, this they is, were working with cutting edge of the time. Yeah. So sorry, yep. it's not as good I as think, now. Well, I think the biggest, uh, maybe a more clear example of this argument, maybe with with sound and comparing Foley work. So if you want to create a science fiction film today and you want a blaster sound, you've got a soundboard that already has yeah. this made, and you can take that sound and maybe tweak it within the computer program until you get the sound you like. Now, there is a skill to that, and there is a craft to that, but it's a lot different than figuring out that I'm going to make my blaster sound by getting a, a small piece of tin where I put some uh, tin foil on one side of it and some chewing gum and gauze on the other side of it and then put the camera or the microphone recording the sound inside of water so that it comes out muffled to give me... And I don't know if that's exactly how they did it, but, yeah, they, but yeah, Foley MacGyver workers did, did crazy yes, things like that it. because the sound didn't exist in a digital database to then pull up and be able to tweak within the digital database by just changing the lines of code. Each is a skill, but one was harder one is harder because i can i can i can sample a whole bunch of pre-made sounds and then merge them edit them screw around with them and hear how they sound within the computer and the other one i've got to go find the physical things that are going to make that sound and then figure out what i need to combine so i need to envision a sound first yeah. and then i need to find the materials that will make that sound and so, that, that, and, to and me, that, that that shows the difference in the craft too yes one well, is probably more um I don't want to say labor intensive, but it's materials gathering intensive. Yeah. And this is why I think both Foley work and uh, CGI slash, you know, physical work. I think the best results are when those the old school and the new school is merged. When you have yeah, CGI used with, with practical effects in such a way that you can't tell what is CGI and what is practical. That I and they're used with. in such a good Seamless. melding. Yeah. And I, I would agree. You moved my needle. All right. You made me retract that. Okay. You're not skilled. I, I, pull, I, I retract that. But I'm still not going to say that the well, guy, this practical effects guy, was not as good. Because again, oh, I like, would never say that. Well, 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 you wouldn't say that. Stuff, I don't think you would ever say compared that. Compared no. to the other stuff out in 1966, the effects for this are they're, pretty they're, good. They're, they're, not very, cutting, they're good. No, they're I mean, good. They might even be cutting edge for 19. These are good effects for 1966. Yes. Now, I could have dealt without the fact that when they landed the ship, they just replayed the launch in reverse. Yeah, but, but, but that's what they're going to do. Those back are cost then. cutting and time cutting measures. You know, I, ultimately, it looks cheesy by today's standards. And, but you got to look at the cutting edge of as much as we laugh about the original Star Trek today as special effects. That's what they, they had. were. They were well, they were, they put together one of the better looking shows for the, the time. time yeah. And it was on at the same time as this. So if, if Star Trek and Lost in Space are going to be the height of what you can expect from 
You can't get too bummed out about this. This is right in line with it. It's not some really terrible stuff that we've seen out of the 60s, too. So I would say the effects are good. I like the initial title scene, too, where they had the basically the art in the background. Oh, my gosh. That Oh, yeah, the acid warp yeah. that was done with that classic 60s, yep. like, oh, hey, man. I yeah. really, I thought that was, I was really impressed by that. And the other thing Blood I'll say splatters. is, for 1960s, I like the score. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's got it's got the cheesy 1960s danger sci-fi music, and it sets the mood correctly. The score is exactly what you would expect out of that time. And, sure, and I kind of miss that. It's a simplified score. I don't need everything to have a pop music power ballad behind it or to sound. You know, I kind of miss just having scores that are dominated by orchestral backgrounds. Well, you know, um, this goes back to our point. What was it last week? That of trying to just do flashy lights and push the camera around and just disorient you so you think you're having a good time, but you don't remember what happened. Like, if, if, if I took you in, pick, you know, Transformers or even King Kong vs. Godzilla, the last one, or even I said this about uh, 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 Shang-Chi, the final battle. I know what happened in that battle because I caught myself and said, focus stay focused but had i not caught myself and you'd ask me so how did he win um well you see kung fu ride dragon um bad guy lost i couldn't tell you how or why because it's just it's meant to excite and fire more synapses than you your brain has capable yeah and same with the music everything has to be epic well and and now like you just said it's not. You know, I was watching an interesting film uh well, th- video this week about This was a simple yeah. simple film. I was watching a video this week. It was a uh, a gunslinger, a modern gunslinger. She does shooting. It's she does sport shooting, mm-hmm. but she does it old west style draw from the hip. And she was watching gunslinger films to evaluate like is that what I would do and and she pointed out how the ones that were more they weren't as flashy were the more realistic because you're locking your wrist and even if you're fanning even if you're fanning you're not doing gun fu you're planting yourself in a stance and then ideally pivoting because it's easy to easier to pivot than move your whole body and fanning you know she just pointed out all these things that you could still do an impressive... I mean, it looks impressive when you do a fanning of revolver, but it's lacking all the... Or if you're just doing a single shot, it's just a pull-out lock wrist fire. It's not a flashy thing. It's not leaning forward with your arm and... Ah! She's like, no actual shooter would do that because that's stupid. They'd run a risk of shooting themselves Plus in the Plus, you're going to shoot down. <laughs> if you're trying to shoot forward... You're going to angle your gun down if you reach forward in some dramatic epic pose. Yep. Well, uh, and I wouldn't say no one because if you're unskilled. Oh, yeah. Okay. A a professional. Professional wouldn't do that. True. It's like everyone in the movies in the 90s turns their gun sideways. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't do that either. Yeah, because it's like, oh, yeah, that's a kill shot slash cool. But except it's a kill shot if I hit. If I hit, also, I'm taking away my aiming points. And also, there are a few guns who really, and not any much anymore, but at the time, there were a few weapons that really didn't like to be anything but upright. 
Yeah, so it just goes back to that. The flashiness yep. is not there in the, in the soundtrack or anything else. It's there to and tell like a story. That. Just yes, because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Exactly. And, and, and CGI and, and modern soundscapes allow you to do some things that you couldn't do before. Then you have to ask the question, do you need to do this? And as you said, you know, you get how did, how did the final battle end? And if I wasn't paying attention... But you had you they had the to. ability, had they had the ability in the '60s to film mass scenes like that? Oh, they would have. They would have. They would. I'm yeah, not, because I'm no not one. It's that hard. Movie. It's hard to resist that temptation. But they didn't. But sometimes what you get is a better story, you know, um, because it's focused, and you get a better yeah, experience well, because it's focused. You have to make up for the lack. But no, they. I, I agree with you. They would have. And, and if you had given modern tech to the 60s, they would have been like, oh, yeah, let's do that. Absolutely. It would be hard. Okay, if, if they wanted to today, they could show the Battle of the Bulge and show you a, in a movie, show you a massive overview of that battle. Pick yeah. one of the fields, pick one of the points, and they could zoom out to 10,000 feet and show you everything. Yeah. It would be really hard to make good entertainment showing us that from 10,000 feet. If you wanted to make good entertainment, you'd have to zero in on that to a few people, mm-hmm. tell the story, and then zero in only on their action within a limited part of that battle. Well, and it, that's been a problem that exists forever. And every single time that these guys try to, to peel back to show you something big, you lose an engagement because you're taking the personal connection of the film out and the right. characters. The big scale is a butter for documentaries or anything like that. Right. When you're like, right. I want to show you how the lines moved and they advanced over here and fell back. When That's fine. That works great in a documentary. But if you want a entertainment like movies, yep. you want that personal connection and you want connection with your main characters. So to get that, you can't pull back too far it's like yeah. infinity war what when when um not infinity war um end game when they're Endgame. fighting when they're fighting thanos's army you oh. could you could try to show that whole battle which they did at times but where that battle works the best is when you zero it in on an individual or right. a small group only... of characters and we know the bigger battle is going on i don't yes. need to see the bigger yes. battle at all times to know that there's off-screen characters who are just there as fodder fighting, yeah. are dying and fighting well that's it you can zero pan back just a moment as a hey everybody remember this Back to Iron Man. Right, look at the Battle of Endor in, in, Star, in Jedi. Everybody knew that there was more going on than just Han's very small strike team. You know what's going on somewhere else. You have to. But we didn't need to see any of it. Well, and there's a ways, I think, to do it. Is like when you got almost a big battle and you got separate groups that you, you go from one group to the other. And in between the two groups, like you're panning and you can see a bigger battle going on. That can be done. But I think yeah. we haven't talked about Queen of Blood in like 20 minutes. Does that mean we're ready to, yeah, I to guess land so. this thing? Yeah, we're I definitely so. ready to. It, I was just it's about changed to into say one that. of our original pod, one of our original podcasts from what would this be like season 10, season one? Yeah. Um, so no, that's 60s right. scary horror movies and why the effects and soundscapes <laughs> well, were better then than they are today, or are they? <laughs> it happens. It happens. But yeah, we're ready to land here. Well, I, I, I I'll be honest. This film, there's not a whole lot here. Yeah, I mean there I, is. I, we, there's we, something we there. Did, we it's did not like it, we didn't watch nothing, and but we did what there is. It's a, it's a somewhat copied and pasted '60s film. Yeah, you know what? I'll get the ball rolling on this one. I give it a two or three because it's a colossal letdown. It's you get to a point where you're just 
you can't believe the stupidity of the actors. Oh yeah, how many um eggs? Eggs. Okay, I was gonna say Dennis Hopper's, but okay, how many eggs? So you get to a point where you're just wondering when is uh why are they so stupid? And then you're wondering how are these morons gonna defeat the enemy? And you find out well, it's not that hard actually because the alien is incredibly paper thin. So it just is a colossal letdown, and that just makes it a two or a three for me. All right. I think I will give it a three, and that's only because aliens came, took, uh, derived something from this. So something better came out of this. Uh, that's true. There's a point. So it gets three full aliens. Well, this one gets the very rarely given, but much talked about zero. And to get a zero, a movie has to have been made trying to be a good, serious work of entertainment. And there was an effort to make a good movie. And the people writing this, even if it is a Roger Corman production, thought they were making a good B-movie at least. This movie is crap. It is a movie that never should have been, um, the idea should not have been greenlit to make because anyone who took two seconds thinking about the villain and the centerpiece and the structure that holds the whole thing together should have realized that it has no logical chance of existing in the real world. That said, when you start to put a plot around this, it should have been killed then because no logical functioning human being is going to make the continual missteps and, and act as stupidly as this movie requires every character in it at every single level to act for the plot to advance one step. There is not a part of this film that doesn't exist only because people are stupid or naive or ignorant. Or, in the case of the villain, that the entire laws of biology have been circumvented to allow not only this thing to exist, but an entire species of these things to exist. And so, there is nothing redeeming about this film. The one thing that it tries to be redeeming about, giving you an ethical dilemma for our surviving two main characters, is neutered by the utter stupidity of the villain and the fact that everyone else has acted so moronically throughout the entire movie that I don't think they could possibly be smart enough to get to this ethical conundrum and try to ration it out in their head. This, this is a masterclass in how not to make a film. It's a masterclass of wh- what a producer should never do. And ultimately, this thing is just a... It's a trash fire. It's a complete trash fire from start to finish that never should have seen the light of day, and everyone who made it should be embarrassed that they were part of it. Zero, 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 zero. Wow, he didn't even give Star Crash a zero, so that's telling you something. Zero. Sickies. I'll watch Star Crash over this every time. Wow. Because there's something discussed in Star Crash. Halt the flow of time and all, there's something discussed in Star Crash. Okay. The, and it, everything that happens in it doesn't require you to be idiotic. Just the last one. Crash your what, ships into a what, light speed. What if, um, <laughs> what if... Uh, it had had the the sci-fi '80s porno soundtrack from Forbidden World. Would that have helped? No, zero. <laughs> Nothing saves this film. It's this film was dead once you came up with a hemophiliac vampire that can die from a scratch. Okay, and my, Fair a enough. hemophiliac space yeah. vampire queen here to lay eggs that can die from a scratch. When the well, villain can't possibly exist in a logical, rational world. Okay, now I guess that. That's not a good movie. I'll say this. The science fiction sucks. 
The science fiction in this is horrible, and the horror is horrible. This is supposed to be a this horror movie. At all. No. It's supposed to be a horror movie with something that is less threatening to me than a puppy. <laughs> yeah, no, this is not scary at all. A so. puppy might take a dump on my carpet and ruin it. I'm more afraid of that happening well, than I am this hemophiliac vampire Considering the puppy, puppy can kill the villain here, yes. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing, yes. If the puppy... I can, I can kill this villain by asking her to pet a puppy. Yeah. It'll so that's, maybe bite her hand or scratch her. If I let my dog say hello to the villain, it would die in my dead. entryway. So... <laughs> I guess uh, so. We're not recommending this film necessarily, unless you I'm recommending see. it if you want to see an excellent um, uh, example of how not to make a movie. Yeah, but if you want, on the other hand, to see some or see or hear rather some excellent programming, I recommend the other showings on Raving Lunatic Media, such as Cold Case Chase, which recently just dropped one. Um, oh boy, I'm an idiot, and I should know this. Lisa Lamb, I think. The, the dead body that was found in a water tower in L.A. at a hotel. That was a good one. We also had, oh, with a really great ending, by the way. You should listen to it just for the ending. Uh, we also had a cross-examination drop this week about D.B. Cooper. If you want to know, and if you're wondering who's D.B. Cooper, well, go back and listen to that cold case chase. But if you watch the Loki series, there's a scene that suggests Loki is D.B. Cooper. It was the airplane scene. We also have Case of the Chills, which recently spoke about Bermuda Triangle, something Scott's kind of into. I think he is, anyway. Uh, and today, we had, as I mentioned, dropped Zodiac Task Force, Episode 3, which I will say the voice talent on that is really good, and I'm really impressed by them, especially Koa Eden. Give that a listen. Sidecar Sam is an amazing actor, voice actor, Give that a listen, sickies. Uh, and how can they find out about these wonderful programs? You can go to www.queenofnoob. Not going any further. Use your imaginations. Ravinglunaticmedia.com. 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 Rage Master. What's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is our uh, sci-fi melody. Dresses up as a man from space. What do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. <laughs>